Okay, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are those Bibles under the chairs. Uh, there should be one under the chair in front of you or next to that chair. And um, I looked, and it's on page 894 in those Bibles. You will want one of those. It'll help you to follow along uh, with what I'm doing here. While you're turning there, a little bit more about myself. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, in part because I just love any opportunity I get to preach the Bible. I really do love the work that I get to do. But also because, as Karen mentioned, I'm actually from the area. I spent the first 18 years of my life in this region. Uh, as I was trying to think about memories for this particular area, I was thinking of the West Shore Country Club. I used to work there in the tennis pro shop. Um, I was like the guy that got the balls and filled up people's water and stuff. And I thought of the Capital City Mall. Uh, my friends and I used to get kicked out of stores there when I was in like middle school. And then uh, we also had a friend who had a minivan. It was like it was the first car, it was his mom's car. And uh, he was a little older than we were, so we used to ride around in his minivan and pack like eight people in there. And we used to hold the sliding doors open while the car was in motion. I don't know why, but we thought that was funny. And one time we had a friend whose uh, leg got caught where the door is supposed to be, and it slammed on it while the car was in motion. We don't think it was broken, but we stopped off in a parking lot nearby to assess the damage. So that's what I think of when I think of uh, this area of central Pennsylvania. So I have a lot of great memories of this area, but uh, for the first 18 years of my life while I was living here, I wasn't actually following Jesus. Uh, I grew up attending Our Lady of Lords Catholic Church over on Salt Road in Enola, thankful for a lot of my time there, thankful for things I learned there. But by the time I got to high school, I basically believed God existed and that if I didn't murder anyone, I'd probably go to heaven. And that was about the extent of it, right? I, I knew some things about God, but I didn't know God. Uh, I, I was nice enough, but I didn't really love God. And so it wasn't until I went to college at Penn State that God actually made himself known to me. And I would say I went from knowing about God to actually knowing God himself. So it's something of a testimony to God's power to save that I'm even here this morning. It's just funny for me. I still meet people that I grew up with, and I tell them, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor. Like, it's weird. It's really weird. But these are the things that God does. So I'm thankful to be with you. Enough about me, though. Uh, I'm here today continuing the series of sermons that you all are going through on doctrine, kind of the basics of what do Christians believe based on the Bible? What does this church in particular believe? And the topic I've been asked to speak on is the topic of revelation. Now, when you hear the word revelation, don't just think of the last book of the Bible. Revelation deals with the question of how can we know what's true? How is the truth revealed? Many people today uh, assume that the truth about things like God, sin, forgiveness, just can't be known with any kind of reliable certainty, right? It can't be known. And so what do they do? Many people don't waste their time thinking about it. And that's really actually the, the message that many people get in America, whether you've heard it in so many words or not. It's, hey, look, you, every religion's out there. They've all got their own message, right? And how could we ever know which one actually has the truth? So don't waste your time thinking about God and hell and you know, sin and forgiveness. Just do whatever makes you happy. You know, take care of your job, take care of your family, have a, have a nice life. Or within the church, for people who identify as Christians, it may sound more like, why are we wasting all of our time talking about doctrine, talking about theology and what's true? What, what matters is that we live the way that Jesus wants us to live. And certainly it does matter that we live the way Jesus wants us to live, and it, things like being happy and having a family, those things matter, right? But in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus says that his disciples, his followers, are people who will know the truth. 
The truth has been revealed according to Jesus in such a way that it can actually be known. And so we're going to talk about how the truth is revealed, what the truth does, and who the truth is. Okay? So how the truth is revealed, what the truth does, and who the truth is. So I'll read from John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. The chapters are the big numbers, the verses are the smaller ones. And uh, once I finish that, I'll pray, and then we'll talk about those things. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that you are a God who reveals the truth to us. And you have revealed what is true through the words that have just been read. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes and our minds to see what you have said, to understand it, and especially to see Jesus in it. We pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so first, how the truth is revealed. The words that open the passage that I just read from Jesus are, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. So how is the truth revealed? Very simply, the truth is revealed through Jesus' words. Jesus tells us what's true. Now, maybe you wonder, well, why should I believe what Jesus says? And it's interesting, in this passage, he doesn't really give you much of an argument, right? He just says, if you're truly my disciples, you will recognize that the things that I'm saying to you are true, and you will abide in these words. And to abide in Jesus' words, it means that you're, you don't just hear them and move on. You hear them and you think about them. And you let them actually change the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. You live as though the things Jesus is saying are true, because the things Jesus is saying are true. Expanding out a bit from this passage, though, in verse 28, Jesus says that the things that he speaks are the things that God the Father taught him. In other words, Jesus is saying the reason you should believe my words and that if you abide in these words, you will know the truth, is because the words I am speaking to you are actually the words of God. And this God, whose words Jesus speaks, is a God who has revealed himself to every human being in the things that he has made. And so when we talk about the doctrine of revelation, theologians will genu generally distinguish between general revelation, those things God has made known about himself to everyone, and special revelation, the things God has made known only through the words of God that we have in the Bible that we hear Jesus speaking now. So general revelation is spoken of in a passage like Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. It's saying God has made the world in such a way that the things that are true of him, that he exists, that he's eternally powerful, can be known about him through the things that have been made. And in fact, every human being, no matter where you are, no matter what environment you grew up in, if you have eyes to see, if you, if you can just look at the world around you, knows that God exists. And so what Jesus is saying is the words that I am speaking are the words of that God. He's claiming that he's not just to be another teacher who has one truth among many truths. He's claiming to speak the truth, the truth of God 
through his words. Now, of course, there's a lot of evidence that would corroborate that, a lot of arguments we could look into for why Jesus' words are reliable. We don't have time to do that today. But my point at this point is actually much simpler than that. It's that a lot of people today aren't even evaluating the evidence. Like a lot of people today aren't saying, you know, I've looked at the words of Jesus, I've really examined them, and I've just concluded this guy's a phony. He's not God. I don't believe this stuff. What people have done is they've rather assumed he can't be God. Or the things that he's saying, I I could never figure that out anyway, so why would I waste my time with it? But why assume that, right? Like Jesus is saying, that's not true. He's saying the truth has been revealed in such a way that if you abide in it, you can actually know it. If you will examine it, it can be known. So if you're here today and you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, have you really examined the words of Jesus and just said no to Jesus? If you're here today and you are a Christian, you would identify yourself as a Christian, do you prioritize the knowledge of Jesus' words? Do you give the time to abiding in it? And do you let it change the way you live? If Jesus says it, do you say, it's true, and I'm going to build my life around that? Or are you busy with other things that prevent you from giving the kind of time that would require? Uh, it's possible to even be busy with good things, right? Because like, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of Christians today will say, well, why are we wasting our time growing our knowledge? We need to do for God. We need to do what Jesus commands. And again, what Jesus commands is important, and doing it is important. But look what he says here. He doesn't say, if you are truly my disciples, you will do what I say. That's true. But there's an intermediate step there that you're missing, right? He says, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word, and you will know the truth. So just knowing the truth and doing nothing with it, yes, that's sin. But skipping the knowledge of the truth and just getting busy and doing things for God is not actually what Jesus says the life of a disciple is like. He's saying the life of one of his disciples also involves knowledge. Because here's the reality. To really love God and do what he says, you have to know things about him. Your power to love him and do for him increases if you know that he is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. If you know that about him, you're empowered to love him in a new way. Your power to be faithful to your spouse increases if you know that God is faithful to his people, even when we are not faithful to him. Your power to care for the materially poor increases if you know that God is a God who throughout the Bible identifies with the materially poor and hears their cry. Now, you can know all that and do nothing with it, right? And that's not what Jesus is talking about. But you also can't skip it. The Christian life is not merely doing things for God. It is right and good and necessary that you take the time to grow your knowledge of what Jesus' words say so that you might have the power to do the things they call you to. Are you abiding in these words and letting them really change the way you think, feel, and act? If you assume that the truth can't be known, then yeah, of course you're not going to do that, right? But there's a problem with that assumption. If you assume the truth can't be known, you have to realize that's a truth claim, right? You say nothing certain about God can be known. That's a claim about God. And the question is, how do you know it? If nothing can be known, right? It's a contradiction, it's a contradiction of itself. It's what philosophers call self-referentially incoherent. I know that's a big word. I don't study philosophy, but I read that somewhere. Anyway, self-referentially incoherent, okay? It's like saying sentences don't exist. That's a sentence, right? It disproves itself. Nobody speaks English anymore. I just spoke English. So it contradicts itself. If it's true, it's false, and therefore it can't be true. And just consider this, right? If there really is an infinite God who made everything, isn't it at least possible 
that if he wanted to communicate the truth to us, he could find a way to do that that we understand. Like, I wanted to tell you all this morning that I'm from around here. I don't know, for some reason I have pride about that or something. So I wanted to tell you, and I found a way to communicate that to you, right? So that now you all know it. How much more then should we expect that God has the power to speak to us in such a way that if we would listen to his words, we can actually know what's true about him, about what he wants for our lives, about Jesus himself. All right, enough philosophy, because here's the fact we've got to face. Often the reason we say we don't know what's true about God isn't because it can't be known, it's because we don't want to know it. It's because if there really is something true about him, it puts a demand on me to change the way I live. And I don't want that. I, was, uh, I mentioned that I went to Penn State, and shortly after I came to know Christ, the people, the Christians I was around encouraged me that I should um, talk to others about that and invite them to even read the Bible with me to examine the words of Jesus. So I thought that was pretty weird, but I did it, and much to my surprise, a couple people actually said yes. But one guy said no. And the reason he said no, I really appreciated this, he was just honest with me. He said, you know, I don't really know what I believe about any of that, and I kind of like it that way. You see, he wasn't saying the truth can't be known philosophically or something. He's just saying, like, I, I don't want to know it, right? Now, why would anyone say that? It's because he liked the life he was living. And if there really is a truth outside of him, that would have placed a constraint on him, a demand on him. I, um, it was mentioned that I have a 10-month-old son now, so this is my first Father's Day as a, as a dad. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, he sleeps through the night now, praise God. It's like, real game changer. Um, but for the first four months, he didn't, okay? So uh, my wife would be with him during the day. I would come home at night, and I would try to help her out by putting him to sleep, which usually involved, you know, rocking him, feeding him, changing his diaper, figuring out what to do next. And then you kind of, we had a pack and play in our room at that time, so I, I kind of get him to that point where like, I think he's asleep, you know? And I go to put him down in the pack and play and just gingerly step away, kind of cross my fingers, and go downstairs and try to get back to doing whatever it was I did with my time before I had a kid. And so I, I would take a, we had this video baby monitor, and I'd have the baby monitor with me. And one of the scariest moments in my life for those months was looking at that baby monitor. Because I knew if I looked at that baby monitor, I might find that he wasn't actually asleep, and that means I'm going to have to go back there and tend to him. So what did I do? I would often just not look at it, right? Let me just go about my business. I'm going to tell myself it's okay. I don't know if he's awake or not, but I don't have to know. That's comforting, right? Because the truth would have put a constraint on me. It would have made me do something that I didn't want to do in that moment. And so for many of us, the truth of Jesus' words are like that. It's the kind of thing where we know if it's true, if it can actually be known, I'd have to change the way I'm living. I'd have to say no to some of my sinful desires, to all of my sinful desires, in order to follow him, or I'd have to keep saying yes to them, but I'd, have, I'd do it now knowing that I probably shouldn't be, that I'm, that I'm disobeying the one who made me. So here's what's so amazing about Jesus' words, though. Look at him again, John 8, 31. What does he say will happen after he says you will know the truth? He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will force you to stop doing everything that's truly fun and happy in life and enslave you to a life of misery. It's not what it says. It says the opposite, actually, right? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So the truth is revealed through Jesus' words. That's how it reveals. But what the truth does is the truth sets you free. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the people he was speaking to were wondering that, right? So, so they ask him in verse 33, they say, we're offspring of Abraham, we've never been enslaved to anyone. So what, what do you mean we'll become free? We're not even enslaved. And that's what many people today would say, right? They'd say, I'm, I'm not enslaved, I do what I want, right? I don't let Jesus tell me what to do. I'm not a slave to anything. But Jesus' answer in verse 34 is, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So do you practice sin? I'm not talking about does the person next to you practice sin, right? Or the person that comes to mind when you think of sinners. Do you, here today, practice sin? Are there things that you know you shouldn't do and you find yourself doing them anyway? Do you ever um, say hurtful things to your spouse just to prove yourself right, prove a point? You know it's going to hurt, but you want to exalt yourself and put them down? You've practiced sin. Have you ever shaded the truth to make yourself look a little better? protect yourself a bit, maybe save some money, you've practiced sin. Have you ever heard about someone else succeeding, something good happening in their life, and been a little upset about it? Or heard about something sad happening to someone and been a little happy about it? You've practiced sin. And so have I, and I still do today at times. Now, on some level, you probably realize those things aren't good, right? You maybe even beat yourself up over it. But why can't you just make yourself stop doing it? Just stop. Because sin's not just some bad behaviors you do. It's a power. It's a force that we've all signed up for that then starts to enslave us. It's like addiction, kind of. It's like you were choosing to drink until it started choosing you. So you're addicted to being right, and therefore you blast your spouse when they disagree with you. You're addicted to people's approval, so you lie to make yourself look a little better. You're addicted to money, so you lie to save some of it. You're addicted to success, so you're upset when other people succeed and happy when they fail. And like any addiction, you get more of it and it's never enough. And you have to keep doing it or do more of it or find a different kind of it in order to satisfy because it just can't do it. It can't deliver what it promises and you end up needing more of it. It's funny, you know, like take, take lying about money, for example. Uh, you, you say, I, I, could, you know, I could lie about my taxes, let's say, and I could save some money. Um, and you say, I'm free, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let God tell me that I can't lie. But what you've actually done is you've just increased your dependence on money. You've fed your love of that, and you've become more enslaved to it. Or take sex for another example, right? This is kind of like people usually feel like, man, I would just be so much freer if I didn't have to obey the strict confines of sex that I can have sex with anyone that I'm actually married to, right? That, that's the command in the Bible. You say, I don't, I don't want to be stuck in that, so I'm just going to break out of that. Now, if you've actually done that, if you've broken outside of those boundaries for sex, can you really say that it, that it satisfied you, right? Like you just did it once and you were like, ah, see, I knew it. I knew God was holding out on me. Now I'm satisfied. Maybe for a day you felt that way, but then what did you have to do? You had to do it again, or you had to do it with someone else, or you had to seek out a more deviant experience of it. It doesn't work. So you can say you're going to accept, you say, I'm not going to accept the truth of Jesus' words. We can't know what's true. And you may feel freer that way, not knowing. But you won't actually be freer. If you can be honest with yourself, if you can be this brutally honest with yourself, there's something that you, that you still are controlled by, that you have to have, that rules your heart. And the question is, how do you get free from that? How do you get free from that slavery? Jesus says, his words 
set you free from that. To live the way you were truly created to live. He tells you what to do, right? He gives you commands. He says, do this and don't do these things. And if you follow those, you'll be free. Go to church, read your Bible, do what it says, you'll be free. That's the religious answer. And it's also exactly wrong. The opposite, actually, of what Jesus is saying here. Because here's the reality. If you know what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, that doesn't make you want to do it. So all it can really do, if all you hear from Jesus is his commands, they're certainly part of his word, if all you hear from him is the commands, it's enough to make you feel guilty. It's enough for you to know, I ought to be doing better, but I'm not. It's enough to show you you're enslaved, but not enough to set you free. And it's why many people don't bother with it. Because they think, if I really looked into who Jesus is and what he says, if I really dug into the Bible, if I really examined all this, I would just find a bunch of commands to do things I don't want to do, and I'd leave just feeling guiltier. I've got a packed to-do list already. Why do I need to add things to it? But there's got to be more to it than that, right? Because Jesus says his words set free, actually, and that's not freedom, what I've just been describing. And there is more to it than that, and we find it in verses 35 and 36 when Jesus shows us who the truth is. So here's what he says. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, so far we've been talking a lot about the truth, right? The freedom of the truth. Now Jesus talks about this son, a son who's going to set you free. And he contrasts the son to a slave, right? He's just been talking about slavery. In the ancient world, slaves were more like indentured servants. So they had kind of an expiration date on their service. Uh, In Jewish law, for example, the slaves were set free every seven years. So Jesus is saying, if you're a slave, you remain in the house, but only for a time. And he's looking at the Jews who believed in him, right? So these Jews who believed him are people who were religious people, churchgoers, good people in the eyes of the world. And Jesus says to them, but you're still a slave to sin. And as long as you're a slave to sin, you will not remain in God's house forever. You will be expelled at some point as a judgment on your sins. So even if you're here today and you're a churchgoer and you're kind and you're nice, you can still be a slave to sin. And if you are, you will not remain in God's house forever. You will be expelled. In fact, there's only one, actually, person who has the right to remain in God's house forever. And this passage tells us that that person is the son. So the only hope for me and for you, those who practice sin and are a slave to sin, is if the son sets us free. If the son sets you free, Jesus says, and makes you a son with him, you will be free indeed and remain in God's house forever. So do you see what he's saying? Earlier he said the truth will set you free. Now he says the son will set you free. So which is it? The truth, the son, and the answer is they're the same person. Jesus is the son of God who has come to earth. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not just a speaker of the truth. He is the truth that he speaks. His message is not just a message of commandments and threats. It's a message about himself. The central message of the Bible is not about me or you. The central message of the Bible is about Jesus, God's son. And it's a story, good news, of the son of God, who because he was God's son, had every right to remain in his father's house in heaven. He was totally free to live that life. And instead, he willingly came to earth 
and was bound, constrained, enslaved to a cross, nailed in place, and expelled from God's house so that you and I, who deserved to be expelled, could be brought in to God's family and could remain in his family forever so that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could be set free from the slavery that our sins keep us under. That's the truth that can really set you free. Through faith in him, the moment you believe, you are set free from your sins. You don't have to live for them any longer. And throughout your life with Jesus, as you abide in his word, that truth of who he is comes into you and progressively sets you free from the sin that so easily enslaves. There is no amount of sins you could commit that are too many for Jesus to forgive. And there are no sins with which you struggle that are too powerful for him to set you free from. He rose from the dead and he overcame the powers of sin and death. That power is the only thing powerful enough to set you free from the sin that enslaves and enable you to live the life that you were created to live. I'll close with just uh, one example of how this works. You know, earlier I mentioned sometimes we feel like we have to, you know, there, there's certain husbands out there that feel like they have to be right by always telling their wife they're wrong. I'm that husband. So, real life story. Uh, in my relationship with my wife, I find a constant desire to prove that I'm right. Um, so I defend myself even when I'm wrong. On the rare occasion when I actually am right, I make sure she knows it and that she acknowledges it, find all kinds of ways to say that in ways that make me look great and make her look less. And I know it violates the Bible's commands about love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love does not boast. Okay, I know that. And yet it still comes out of me uh, pretty automatically. So how might the truth of Jesus set me free from that? Well, when I read the Bible, when I see the story of Jesus contained therein, the story is this. Before God, I'm basically wrong about everything. And Jesus is the one person who could look at me and say, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm always right, you got it wrong. And instead of using that to exalt himself over me, instead of letting me have it for it, he came down and became like one of me. And Luke twenty-two thirty-seven says that when Jesus was on the cross, he was numbered with the transgressors. That means he was actually counted a transgressor, a sinner. He was called wrong by everyone around him. And then even his heavenly father placed my wrongs on him so that I could receive the credit for his rights. Now, if all my wrongs have been paid for by Jesus, if he was treated as wrong so that I could be treated as right, where do I get off still claiming and holding on to this image that I'm right about everything? Where do I get off hiding my wrongs? See, if I really believe that, if I trust him and abide in him in that way, I'm free. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to prove I'm right. I can love him more than I love myself. I can admit when I'm wrong. And I can even point out all the ways that my wife is right and I'm blessed to have her and undeservedly graced to have her presence in my life. So whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Trust his word today. Abide in the words of Jesus. Don't assume that you can't know the truth of them. If you abide in his words, you will know the truth and you will know him who is the central message 
of these words. You will know Jesus himself, and he will set you free from your sins. Examine it, right? Like if you're here today and you don't know what you believe, look into this. Come back to this church. Next week, I think they're talking about the Bible, right? Like why is it that when I say Jesus' words, I'm talking about the Bible? Come back next week. You'll hear about that. Don't just get busy trying to do things for God or just trying to clean up your life. That's the worst position to be in, is still a slave to sin, but feeling like you really ought to be doing better. It's just a recipe for feeling guilty and joyless in life. If you want to experience this freedom, you need this power that is there in Jesus, who died for your sins and who rose from the dead to overcome them and set you free from them. Come to him today. Abide in his words today. Examine them, believe them, and let them change every aspect and every facet of your life, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. You need this. As you see, not just his commandments, but him more and more clearly, you'll find that the power of sin over your life just gets smaller and smaller. You just don't need it as much because now you've got him and you've got something so much better in him. He's not just one truth among many. He's not just another religious teacher. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, and no one can be set free except through him. Let's pray. Father, we confess that uh, we have practiced sin. We have sinned against you. And as a result, Lord, we deserve actually to be uh, cast out and expelled from your house. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you left the Father's house to be constrained, to be enslaved and nailed to a cross so that we could be set free from our sins to live the life that we were created to live, a life of love for you and service to others. God, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us the truth of your words, that we might know the truth. I pray you would show us Jesus in your words, that we might know the one who is the truth. And I pray that you would set us free from our sins, that we might live lives that are glorifying to you, that our lives might be directed and changed and shaped by your words. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.